When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. I had just come off of a world championship that made me the most decorated athlete, male or female in history. So I thought I was in like a really great place. But the conversations, even before I was pregnant or disclosed my pregnancy, they started off at 70% less than what I had been making. Welcome to She Pivots the podcast where we talk with women who dared to pivot out of one career and into something new and explore how their personal lives impacted these decisions. I'm your host, Emily Tish sussman If you're a runner, there's no doubt you'll know this next guest. Today, I'm so excited to share my conversation with Allison Felix, the world's most decorated track and field athlete, male or female. Over the course of her running career, she's competed in five Olympics and nine world championships, winning a total of 30 medals between the two. But despite her record-breaking success, she still experienced inequality in her career. When deciding to pursue motherhood, Allison soon realized that maternal protections were not going to be an option for her. After attempting to renegotiate her contract, her sponsor offered her a 70% pay cut, something that would never happen to a male athlete contemplating parenthood. After all the medals, after all the records, after a decade of partnership. But inspired by the women around her, her teammates, her fellow cohorts in other sports, and of course her daughter, Allison decided to fight back. In her own words, she has said that advocacy has changed the game. After she called out the hypocrisy of many athletic companies who claimed to, quote, support women but never offered maternity protections, many major sponsors announced maternity protections and changed their corporate policies, guaranteeing athletes pay and bonuses through and after pregnancy. After changing an entire industry for the better and making history, she left her sponsor and pivoted. Since then, she has launched her footwear brand, Seish, 
with the goal of being designed for and built for women whose bodies change. Although Allison is an Olympian, her story is all too common for women across many industries. Beyond going head-to-head with her sponsor and winning, Allison's story delves into learning how to cope with disappointment and loss, how she advocates for others, and confronting the realities of motherhood. Enjoy! I'm Allison Felix. I am an Olympian and an entrepreneur. So I want to talk about the start of your running career. So your older brother, Wes, was a successful sprinter. So did that encourage you to get into it or you just separately felt it in you? In the typical little sister, like I ran after my brother all of my life. And so he was running and he was doing really well, but I was at a new school and I just didn't really have like my friend group yet. And so it was him and like my dad who were like, you should go out for the track team. Like you'll meet people. And so I had no like ambition to like be an athlete. That was not a part of why I started running at all. It was just like, okay, this will be a great way to like find friends. So I was encouraged by the fact that like he was an athlete and he was doing well. So I thought maybe, but yeah, it was really just like, I need friends. And it worked. I found my best friends, my best girlfriends. They were actually like all in my wedding. Like we're so close to this day. So it did. And then I also absolutely fell in love with the sport and found the thing that made me feel alive. It felt right. And so that was like the the birth of all of that. Did you think that you were going to be the best runner in the world? I did not. So that was not my plan. And I didn't know anything like myself and my family, like we didn't have that background. So we didn't really know. It was just kind of, you know, I was doing well. I I went to the state meet. And then as I got faster, then people started to tell us. And the way that the Olympic trials and everything work is basically if you run a qualifying time, then, you know, you can go. And so I started to run those times. And then I was like, oh, wow, I can I can go. And then it just kept going from there. So at what point did the running start to become serious for you? Like your career outpaced your brothers. So I went pro from high school. And so I had a a professional coach. I was a freshman at USC. That was the biggest competition I had ever performed in. And it was it was all new. Going pro straight out of high school was nearly unheard of. Most athletes don't even make it to the collegiate level and even fewer, less than 2%, go pro. It all happened very quickly. I initially started as a freshman in high school. And so that was my introduction. And by the end of my time in high school, it was very clear that this was a path that I could take. And early on, I was like, oh, maybe, you know, I can go to college and, you know, I'll get a scholarship. And then it was like, oh, no, you can be a professional athlete. And I wasn't, I didn't grow up in the sport. I didn't know any of that. And then it all became very real. You know, I could go to the Olympics and all of that. So started my freshman year. And then my first year in college, that's when I went to the Olympics. So it was a very fast process. <laughs> Olympic trials, and that is the women's 200 meters. It'll be the final event on the track. The sprint star for the United States, Allison Felix. She's only 18 years old. She already has been on the cover of Sports Illustrated. How about that at 18 years old? And Allison Felix has been running with more confidence each round here, and she is really rounding in the shape. One of the first female or male athlete to go straight from high school right into the pros. Allison Felix comes up to challenge and on the inside, Muna Lee. Felix wins it. Felix with the win. 
Despite her success at such a young age, her parents still expected her to complete her college education. I come from a family of educators, so there was no chance that I was not going to school. Thankfully, you know, they worked out into the contract that, you know, my schooling would be paid for and all of that. So that was a regular student. You know, I didn't compete collegiately, but I was trying to do both. Yeah. So I mean, how did you navigate that decision if you were the first U.S. athlete to sign a professional contract instead of competing for the school? What was that decision like? What was that process like in making the decision? I mean, it was a really hard decision to make. It was one that I really like sat down with my family and we went back and forth, you know, weighing the pros and the cons. And it ultimately really came to the fact that I wanted to make the Olympic team. And it was that year. If you're wondering why she couldn't compete at both the collegiate level and as a pro. Well, until a recent Supreme Court ruling, college athletes were banned from earning any money from their sport, whether it be from sponsorship, races or otherwise. I basically made the decision that I think my best shot would be to go pro and be able to focus on the Olympic trials and making the team that way. So that's really what the decision came down to. But it was hard, especially that first year. I had a really challenging time competing. I was competing against, you know, women who were grown and this is what they had been doing. And so that was hard. It was hard just navigating being a professional athlete, being still a young woman and, and figuring out that whole world. And so it was a lot of trial and error in figuring out what worked. But the, the first year, the first couple of years, they were pretty rocky. It was also a little bit strange because all of my friends, they were on the team and I thought I was going to be on the team until like I made this decision to go pro. So it was kind of navigating this new world. I was the first U.S. athlete who had done this. So there wasn't like a path charted before me. So it was a lot of like just figuring it out and trying to be focused because my goal was to make that Olympic team. But also school was absolutely important to me as well. So I got some things wrong and, and found my way, you know, eventually. What do you feel like you got wrong? I think I thought it was going to be almost like high school. You know, you go to class and then you go to practice and like everything's good. But it was like school's really hard. I'm adjusting to being at college. And then all of my competitions are overseas. So I'm traveling. I'm letting professors know like I have this and this. And they're like, what is that? That's not it's not the school team. So we can't really help you there. So it was like navigating. How do I keep up? with all of my classes, all of my exams and everything while still being on the circuit and traveling overseas and going to all these competitions. I think at the beginning, I attempted to like, you know, be doing all the things and it just, it wasn't possible. I was training with my professional coach and I was the only athlete. So it was kind of an isolating experience because it was just so busy, so intense. It was near impossible to be living the traditional college experience. Do you remember there being a moment when you thought, I can do this. Like, I can be the best. After the Olympics. So I went to the Olympics. They were in Athens and I got a silver medal. That was the kind of the moment where I was like, oh, the fire is lit. I was really disappointed initially. I was like, oh, I felt so close to gold. And then my family like very quickly put everything in perspective to me. It was like, you're 18 years old. And they helped me realize. <laughs> but um, I definitely would say that was the moment where I saw the greater potential and I also saw it was going to take a lot more work to get there. But that was the moment where I was like, this is what I want to do. And I, I got to keep going with this. So you've described having a really, not just a professional mindset around it, but a pretty intense mindset around it where you 
didn't really celebrate the wins, but the losses really, really stuck with you. I mean, that sounds like a very serious competitive mindset. When did that switch? I feel like I experienced that for the majority of my, the beginning of my career, probably until my third Olympics, I would say. I mean, I think that's naturally just who I am, where I'm, I'm super competitive, I'm super critical of myself, and just really hard on myself. And I think it started to kind of shift after being in pursuit of a gold medal for a very long time. I think I started to just learn the process more and learn what was more important to me, I guess. So the first two Olympics, I got silver medals. And then it was the third Olympics where things really came together for me. And I finally got ultimately my individual gold medal. She now goes after history, trying to be only the third woman to pull off the 400-200 double. Felix in lane seven. And Allison Felix gets her gold. Fraser Price is second. It looked like Jenner was third. Success was like gold. That's the only way to like determine it. That's the only way that it measured up. And I just, I went through a really difficult time after getting the second silver medal. And I was just like this, I don't know if this is ever going to happen for me. And, and then after, you know, going back the next four years and dedicating myself and giving everything I had, when it finally did come together, it didn't exactly feel like what I thought it would. I think I had like built it up to be this incredible thing. Like I thought everything was going to change. I thought my life was going to be different. And then it happened and kind of like nothing changed. <laughs> and I went back to life and everything was the same. And it took me time to unpack it. But I think it was just the magic was along the way. It was the process. It was the growing, the stretching, becoming all of that. And so it was less about the actual accomplishment, but more about the journey to get there. I really identify with that. I feel like I go at things so intensely that when I mm -hmm. do something, like I, I don't know how to describe it anyway, other than I like ram my head into it. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes if I get to that thing that I immediately move the goalpost. Yeah. So that I'm yep. always pushing myself. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not very healthy, actually. But mm -hmm. do you feel like as soon as you got that one gold, like you just moved the goalpost to the next? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I agree with you. I don't think it's the healthiest thing. But I think when you're so focused on something, and I think that was also one of the things I learned is like, instead of being so focused on one specific goal that I could measure success in different ways. And like there were successful things. And I think it is important to celebrate the wins along the way. But it was like I was stuck and I wouldn't allow myself to go there. And then finally, I was like, there has to be a different way. And I think that's when I start to understand there's other measures of success. OK, we have to go deeper in here because I feel like this is the entire thesis of the show that I am, in fact, still personally struggling with. How does one find multiple ways to define success for themselves? But how did you find different ways to measure success? Yeah, I mean, it came later in life, but I I started to realize that it it was never about the medals. I thought that it was. I thought I put so much focus and so much intensity on that, but it was on like having impact understanding that like my purpose in life is not just to like run fast. I have the ability to do so much more than that. And I think it was really uncovering that it was about impact. It was about creating some sense of change and doing something with a platform instead of just saying that I can get medals. And it was so much deeper than that. I think once I started to go through real life experiences, 
that's when it started to uncover. So it was definitely the decision to start a family and move into things that actually matter to me. Because I got to a point in my career where it was like, okay, I have the medals, like I have the accolades and the accomplishments, but I don't actually have what I've always wanted. And that was to become a mother and to have a family. So that was the moment where things really started to shift for me. After running professionally for so many years, she saw the struggle other female athletes faced preparing for and experiencing motherhood. So starting a family was not a decision she made lightly. I love kids. I studied elementary education in college. My mom was an elementary school teacher. And so I grew up around kids and I that's something I always wanted. Since this sporting career was unexpected for me, it wasn't what I set out to do. I always felt like I had to wait. It wasn't really like somebody told me that. I I don't think anybody ever did. You know, no one told me that. But it's what I saw. And I saw in my sport, I saw that women waited. I saw that the women who did have children, they really struggled. Some of our most famous female athletes have been vocal about their experience with motherhood. From Serena Williams. I somehow managed to win But I was so emotionally spent and just like so emotionally drained that it was it was crazy. And, you know, and then like every night after that, I just was with her the whole time and was like, you're going to be with me. And I just took a lot on. To Kim Kleisters, also a tennis player and first mother to be number one in the world. Was it hard being a mom and a pro at the same time? If I would write a story about my 2009 U.S. Open victory The story would be emotional. It was a very emotional two weeks. To beach volleyball, three-time Olympic gold medalist, Carrie Walsh. Great question, actually. You know, before we had our first child, um, I was told not to do it because they're like, you know, you just won the Olympics. Like, you're going to lose all these endorsements. People are going to forget about you. When you hold your baby, it's going to hurt your shoulder. Your hips are going to be the same. Like, people told me the craziest things and it kind of like you're like whoa you know I've never done this before is that true you know usually sponsorship deals are two to four years and so and I'm an Olympic athlete so usually every four years my deals go away or you know renew them Um, so I think I probably wasn't re-signed after a couple pregnancies but new ones came in you know certain brands step up when others leave so that's just the cycle of life I know they struggled to reach their potential. They struggled to stay in the sport. And it wasn't because they weren't capable. You know, they absolutely were and they were doing it. But those weren't the stories that were being told. And so since those weren't the stories that were being told and I never saw it being celebrated, I just figured that, okay, well, I'm going to have to do I'm going to have to get all the medals, do all the things before I could even think of having a family. I also saw them struggle with their sponsorship. You know, I saw sponsorship being paused or women hiding pregnancy. So there was this whole other aspect where I was actually scared to start a family. And I thought that I wasn't sure if I would be able to continue on with my career. And so I felt like that's why I put it off so long because I I felt like I love my career and I, I want to have both, but I don't know if that's possible. The myth of being able to do it all is so pervasive, as Allison talked about in her TED Talk. Sports companies love to tell women that they can have it all. They can do it all. They can be it all. We've all seen those inspirational ads. I had teammates. I had friends. 
this is something that I had seen since I was like 17 years old when I became a professional. And so, yeah, I saw the struggle all over the place. And so it was, yeah, that was where the fear came from. One of my best friends that was a training partner of mine, she's about 10 years older than me. And so I saw her complete process and I saw her go through all of the things. I saw her come back from pregnancies and I just saw how difficult it was. And so I think it was just those real experiences in my life that really scared me that I I possibly may not be able to do both. Watching those around her struggle was just part of the problem. The athletes are paid and supported by their athletic or corporate sponsors. Think Nike, Adidas, Puma. And in order to get those top sponsors, you have to be a top performing athlete. Something that might be a problem if you just had a baby. So the way that contracts work in track and field is they're performance based. And so you have a contract and you go to like an Olympics or a world championship and you get a medal. We have a world ranking, you get a bonus. And so if you go and you don't get a medal and you're not ranked, then you get a reduction. And so what was happening for women who became pregnant is that they were not able to to keep their salaries because they would be reduced. They would have a baby and say the Olympics or World Championships was the next month or two, three months later, they weren't able to compete. So they would be reduced and reduced many times all the way to nothing. So it was this very real thing where women were just being pushed out of the sport because financially they couldn't continue on. Everything is pretty much performance based. There's not much security in it. So is that why you went to have a conversation with your sponsor as you were thinking about having a family even before it was even a reality for you? So I had came off of a really, a really great performance. At this time, I had been to four Olympics. I had just come off of a world championship that made me the most decorated athlete, male or female in history. So I thought I was in like a really great place. But the conversations, even before I was pregnant or disclosed my pregnancy, they started off at 70% less than what I had been making. So that just elevated my fear to a whole new level because I was like, if this is already here, just based on, I think, you know, whether it was based on my age or I think it was just kind of like they thought I was done, you know? And so that was really hard. And so then when I did decide to start a family, there was a lot of fear that even that 70% would go away because initially I didn't have anything on paper. And so that's why I did decide to do what so many women have done before me and, and hide my pregnancy and wait until, you know, I felt like at least if I have something on paper and then I can go from there. And women having babies during childbearing years is something that should be celebrated, not punished. It should be a part of a normal, thriving professional athletic career. And women in all fields should never feel the need to hide a pregnancy at 4 a.m. in the dark so that they won't be photographed doing that thing that they love. I just felt like if someone got wind of something, then that would be detrimental to everything that I was trying to do. And so initially the negotiations, you know, they were starting off at a really challenging place. And even after I did disclose my pregnancy, it became a thing where it's like the money was going to be what the money was. And I felt like I could handle that. It feels disrespectful. It's it's hard, but it just is what it is. And that's when I really turned my attention to asking for maternal protections. And so basically I was asking 
for time to recover from pregnancy, recover from giving birth before those performance reductions were put into play. And so that was something that I was asking, not just for myself, but for everyone. And what came back to me was that I could have time but they weren't ready to set that precedent for all women in that situation. And so that was what was just, I wasn't able to handle. So she penned a blistering op-ed that ran in the New York Times titled, quote, my own Nike pregnancy story. I've been one of Nike's most widely marketed athletes. If I can't secure maternity protections, who can? Welcome back. Allison Felix has won, get a load of this, nine Olympic medals, making her the most decorated female track and field star in U.S. Olympic history. But recently, Allison has gone through a private struggle in May, opening up in the New York Times about the difficulty some female athletes face when it comes to maternity leave and their corporate sponsors. Allison is here to discuss this, and she's got a big announcement to make. Allison, good morning. Do you remember what you were feeling when you were sitting there waiting for it to publish, like you knew you'd press send and you were just like, refreshing. Yes. (laughs) I was talking to my brother and he's my business partner and he was on my management team. He represented me. And so he was the one who was actually like doing all the negotiating and all the contracts and everything. And we were just like, okay. He was like, are you sure? Like, I'm about to like, (laughs) we're about to do this. And it was just such a scary feeling, not knowing what was going to be on the other side of that. But during the whole process, I, I always talk about this, but he He really said something that I hold on to this day. He was like, you know, you can use your voice even if it shakes. And that just spoke to me because I was so scared and it was just such an unknown. But I was like, no, I you're absolutely right. I can. So, yeah, it was it was definitely scary, though. I also at this time, so this spanned a long period of time. And so I actually ended up giving birth to my daughter during this time. And I had a very complicated, traumatic birth experience as well. I I suffer from preeclampsia. And so it was just a whole ordeal. And so came home from after being in the hospital with my daughter for about a month in the NICU. And I got to this place where I couldn't let it happen any longer. Allison is not alone in this experience. Black women are three times more likely to die from a pregnancy-related cause than white women. Black maternal mortality is real and is experienced by black and brown women every day. Her experience not only inspired her to speak out against Nike, but to fight to improve outcomes for black mothers by testifying in front of Congress about the issue. Good morning, Chairman Neal, Ranking Member Brady, and members of the committee. My name is Allison Felix, and I am Cameron's mom. That is the title I'm most proud of. But I have also know there are so many women who that's not the story. And so my eyes were opened and now, you know, it's a passion on my heart to just do more work in this area and raise awareness. And so some time has passed, but your leadership on this issue has remained constant. Having my daughter and going through this really hard experience and looking at her, I think that gave me the courage. And then also knowing that there's so many women who have suffered in silence, really, around this, that this was an opportunity to say that, you know, I'm, I'm going to come forward and there's going to be consequences, but I think that it'll, it'll have impact. And it wasn't just me. There was one of my teammates, Alicia Montano. She had spoke out before. Um, there was other colleagues of mine. So I also was in a unique position because I was renegotiating my contract. So for many of these women, they had signed NDAs and they couldn't speak about this. And so I think that's really what pushed me. I think we all were kind of speaking out and it was 
decided to speak out after basically, you know, finding out that I would have the time, but no one else would. And then it was about a couple weeks after we came out with that op-ed that Nike decided to change their policy and other companies stepped forward as well and said that they would offer protection for female athletes. So after we did that, now they offer 18 months protection and things are different. Despite changing an entire profession with the stroke of her pen, Allison was still a professional athlete and needed to find a new sponsor before the next Olympics. And then all of a sudden, there was a a meeting request from Athleta, and they're under the Gap Inc. umbrella. And we didn't know what was going to come of it. They were just like, we've never sponsored an athlete before, but we just want to talk to you. Like, we've read the op-ed. And so I went into the meeting alone. I just, you know, I was just like, let's just see what this is. And it was just such a refreshing experience. Our values just aligned, their mission aligned with where I was at in life and what I wanted to do. They were all about just having an impact on women and girls and creating change, like just everything that I that had been through and where I wanted to put my attention. That's what they were about. And I was just at that point, there was so much value beyond financial value. I was just like, I want to have an impact on people's lives. And so it just organically happened in that way. And then it was such an incredible experience. Just right away, it was like there was all these things that we wanted to do together, all this work. I felt like I had a real seat at the table. They allowed me to see how business was done. Um, I saw a business that was female led and I just felt empowered being there. It was not this traditional sponsorship from a company. You know, it was like they wanted to celebrate me in all the different aspects of my life. They saw me as an athlete. They saw me as a mother. They respected the work that I wanted to do around advocating for women. And they found ways to support me. I think this is such a good takeaway for people that even though writing the op-ed wasn't in your nature, like, you know, you say you weren't someone who generally rocks the boat. Mm-hmm. While it did close the door that you thought it would close, it created a significantly better opportunity. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we all been in a situation like that? One door closes and it feels like the end of the world. The way that it made me feel like the way that I did not feel valued and I felt just it was such a dark time where I was just like, well, maybe this is my worth, you know. But then it led to this thing where it's like, no, I went through a really dark period, but it took me absolutely to where I'm supposed to be and with who I'm supposed to be doing life with. And yeah, it's like going through a hardship to get like on the other side of all that fear was so much freedom and so much purpose. Saying that it it took you to a really dark place, dark how? When I think about becoming a mother and what I had envisioned and imagined, My experience was vastly different from that. And I think because I was going through a time period where I was basically feeling as though I was being told that I was not valued, that I I did not have worth, that I wasn't enough. And so this time that I felt like should have been celebrated and should have been so special, I spent literally training in the dark. I spent wearing big baggy clothing, barely ever leaving my home because I was scared that my employer would find out and that I would no longer be able to do my job. And I just think that's so absurd and so crazy and also very, very dark. And I think also when you're bringing life into the world, that's not the situation that you want to be around. And so it was just hard to move forward. It was hard to go through. It wasn't what I expected or imagined. It was really difficult. 
I had this plan, like, of course, I'm like a master planner, like putting all these things together. And then it's like real life happens. It's like, what were you thinking? <laughs> so I had this plan that like, OK, I'm going to train and I'm going to come back in four weeks and it's going to be amazing. And then, you know, I had the traumatic birth experience and I had emergency C-section and like nothing went according to plan. So it was very humbling and it just also showed me what was important because I thought what was important was like getting back to running and getting back to all of that. And and then going through that experience where it was like life threatening and my child was fighting for her life. It just showed me that that was not what was important at all. And also force me to give myself grace and coming back, like force me to not subscribe to other people's timelines or to things that I saw and comparing myself. It was just like, no, your path is going to be totally different and really force me in that lane. And I didn't take into account all of the things that happen when you give birth and just when life happens and that everyone's path is not the same. That you're probably still going to be wearing a diaper after a month. Okay, that's yeah, <laughs> that's the reality. That's the real. That's the reality. That's the not Instagrammed version. <laughs> yes, and it was just like you said, it was devastating though because it just made me feel like, well, what is wrong with me? Why can I not do this thing that everybody else seems to be doing? But then you realize that, like, okay, you get this picture perfect glimpse of someone's life, and then you start to talk to people and you start to realize, like, oh, they actually struggled as well, and this is absolutely normal. Then, about a year after giving birth, she finally felt like herself again. Okay, I'm I'm feeling like me again. And also like a different version of me. I think I was trying to get back to like who I was and then realizing that like it's not who I was. It's just who I'm becoming and who I am now. I really relate to that. I feel like I still feel most myself when I'm driving professionally. Mm -hmm. If I'm like really driving. Mm -hmm. Like I don't as much feel like myself when I'm parenting, which I do much more of the time and I'm probably not as good at as I am professionally. <laughs> so like I really like I feel like that is like the version of me, I guess, that I'm getting back to. But it's funny, someone described this show or they were asking me to describe it. And I said, no, it's the wrong characterization. But they said <laughs> that it was a show of, of resilience. And I was like, mm. absolutely not. Mm. This is a show of being different and better. I love that. I feel like I really connect to what you're saying that like, I'm not going to go back to who I was before. I'm going to be different, but I have to know that I can be better, like the new version of me. Yeah. And that's something I feel like we don't think about before that you can be better. You think like, I just have to get back. But no, no, like this new version is better. You're just authentically being yourself. And to me, it's just been such a, a beautiful experience once kind of like realizing that. And she did go back. She set her sights on her fifth Olympics, but still lacked a footwear sponsor. And so as a sprinter and the Olympics were approaching, I got to a point where I was just frustrated because it was just like, how is this possible that I don't have shoes to wear in the Olympics? I don't have a sponsor. So I was basically just talking to my brother about that. I was like venting to him about just how I'm so tired of like begging companies to see my value, to see my worth. Like, how am I still at this point? And he was like, well, what if we just like did it ourselves? And mind you, like we had just come through this like massive fight for maternal protections. Like that just feels very ambitious. You mean like create a company? 
But the more that I heard him and I like sat on it, I was like, no, you're absolutely right. Here is an opportunity to create change and an opportunity instead of asking somebody else to do it, we can do it ourselves. And so what we thought we were doing was creating shoes for me to wear in the Olympics. And we thought maybe other women would want to stand with me and want to support. And then after taking a deep dive, you know, into the industry, we learned that shoes haven't been made for women and that sneakers, tennis shoes are made off of a last that is a mold of a man's foot. And it's been a man's foot that's been used to make women's footwear. And I just thought that was crazy. And so it became this bigger purpose to say our shoes are going to be created to fit the form of the female foot. Even bigger than creating shoes is that we're a company that sees women and and knows their worth and value and exists for that purpose. And so it's been an incredible just journey getting to that point. And after creating the company and a lot of things happened in a long time period, but we launched during Olympic trials and then at the Olympics. I did make it back to my fifth Olympics and I got to compete in shoes that our company made. Running strong will hand it to Allison Felix, the veteran Allison Felix, bronze medal in her final open 400. In a quiet stadium in Tokyo, a year after the world shut down due to COVID, three years after she gave birth to her daughter, And two years after fighting back against Nike, she won an Olympic gold medal in her safe shoes. It was just truly a highlight and also like a full circle moment, you know, to get back to that point, to win a a gold and a bronze medal in our shoes and to be a representation. You know, it was the first time that I got to a starting line and I wasn't only focused on the outcome of the race. It wasn't only focused on the medal or the time, but I was focused on like here I am as this representation to mothers and to women and basically to anybody who had been told that they couldn't do something to overcome and to be able to look down and, and see these shoes was like the physical embodiment of all of that. I love the idea of, you know, once you get through that door, you know, it's about opening the door and extending a hand and bringing someone up. And there have been so many women on this journey who have done that for me, who have supported me, who have been mentors and just have been incredibly helpful. And I I just I love the sisterhood of it all. So, I mean, you you created a company. So this was not this was not your background. This is not what you no. <laughs> were going in prepared to do. And you've created some really interesting policies in the business model that are different. Yeah, we are for and by women. We are women product designers and engineers and a very diverse group. But I think when you have women at the table, you just do things in a more thoughtful way. And so we have a maternity returns policy where oftentimes when you become pregnant, your foot size changes. And oftentimes that can be a permanent change. So if you have a pair of our shoes and your foot size changes, we'll give you a new shoe in your new size. And so it's just these ways to support women better and say that you don't have to choose and decide between being a mother and anything else. And also just that we want the world to be better for women. And, and here's a way that we can do that. And I don't think that we can ask women to choose between the passionate work that they do and being parents. I don't believe in that. And so it is challenging. You know, I think you have to be creative and 
thoughtful with the way that you're doing things. But I think that as I think people want to spend their money places that are doing things in a thoughtful way. And I just think about the way that we've been able to support mom athletes and whether it's, you know, through grants or through supporting some of the childcare work, like there are ways that we can do this and see women, you know, in a more holistic light. How do you have that conversations with investors that are so often coming in looking for like quick profit, you know, balance the books? Like what are those conversations like, especially when women at all only get 2% of VC funding? Yeah, absolutely. It was really important for us to find the right investors. And for that reason, I think they have to understand, they have to get it and it's not going to be for everybody. And obviously, yes, we want to scale the business quickly as well. And we want to do all those things, but we want to do it in the right way and we want to make sure we're having impact. And so for us, for our lead investor, they're female led, they invest in companies um, with purpose and mission. And so making sure that They connect with what we're trying to do. I mean, that's really at the heart of it all. And Gap actually invested in our company as well. And so really finding the right partners that understand. I mean, I think our outlook has to be on the big picture. We're a company that is mission driven. And so the purpose is so much bigger than, yes, obviously we want to be successful. We want to sell shoes. We do. But I define success as also having that impact. It's not going to be enough just to be successful on paper. I, I need that to also happen in the form of change. And so that's what it's all about. And it has to be authentic. It has to be genuine. And so we start from within our company. We start from the way that we build our teams. We start from the initiatives and the campaigns and the things that we're involved with in that. So I think it sometimes it may take longer, but I think it's important to do things the right way. And that's where we're really uncompromising. Where do you want to take it? I want to keep building. You know, I want to have more impact. I'm really excited. We have performance footwear coming next year. And that's my baby. You know, that's what I want to bring to women. And and so I guess when I think about the future, I mean, I would love to see more shoes, you know, just a sea of shoes and not so that we'll be just successful, but so that we'll have that impact and just that power of the collective of women wanting to stand together and wanting to stand for change. She's still changing. After her 20 year running career, she decided to announce her retirement in 2022. Allison Felix, who owns more Olympic medals than any U.S. track and field athlete in history, says she will retire after the 2022 season. Her last competition likely will be the World Championships in July. In an Instagram post, Felix said this season is not about time on the clock. It is simply Mm. about joy. I was kind of trying to juggle both, you know, this company and competing. And so I went to my last world championships and I felt like I had given all I had to give. And so now I'm, I'm really excited to just be walking in this new space and still doing something different. During that last race, did you know that it would be your last? I did. It was very special in that way, because I think a lot of athletes, they don't get to know when it's their last. I actually got to put together this kind of final race. It was a race in my hometown, Los Angeles. Um, We made it in partnership with Athleta. We created kind of this, we call it the race for change. And it was to support mom athletes and to to raise funds to be able to provide childcare, you know, at, at more events. And so it was this very special full circle moment where I had all my family, all my friends, just people who have been on this journey with me since the very beginning. So this very special moment to kind of close it all out. 
So I asked this question of all of my guests. What do you think that something at the time you saw as a real low point, but now you look back in retrospect, it may have actually been a positive? Oh, absolutely. For me, it was the whole moment of where I walked away from Nike, you know, the moment where I felt like I was losing so much and uh, such an uncertain time. And I think I'm absolutely where I'm supposed to be now. And it was something really hard to go through. Absolutely. But it, it brought me to, to purpose and to meaning and to more than I could have ever imagined. Well, Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for such thoughtful questions. Allison continues to run Seish and is growing the company quarter by quarter. Last spring, she raised $8 million for her Series A round, laying the groundwork to continue to expand Seish into more products and markets. She still runs the company alongside her brother, Wes, and is dedicated to creating a more equitable future for women. Allison changed the game. She created a pathway for more female athletes to receive fair compensation and protections. And her advocacy journey is far from over. I'm sure we'll see her pivot again. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of She Pivots, where I talk with women about how their experiences and significant personal events led to their pivot and eventually their success. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast and leave a rating and comment if you enjoyed this episode to help others learn about it. A special thank you to our partner, Marie Claire, and the team that made this episode possible. Talk to you next week. She Pivots is hosted by me, Emily Tish sussman produced by Emily Edda Voloshik, with sound editing and mixing from Nina Pollock, and research and planning from Christine Dickison and Hannah Cousins. I endorse She Pivots. like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.